Hello and welcome to this EIQ Live. Amelia, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Really great. great. You're looking very brown. I'm the one that's supposed oh. to be on holiday. Oh, I think it might be mm-hmm. the good camera. I'm not sure. Well, I've got my good camera on and all it does to me is nothing. Oh, well, there you go. Maybe it can you see so, yeah. no you can't see it no not at all hmm. well there you go how was your whole it was great it was it was great it's very refreshing and yeah it's fab I'm just I, I reminded myself one of my favorite things about being on holidays and not replying to messages and then I was like why don't I just do that once a week anyway and just like, and just yeah. like, I did not that, like when, when we were on different time zones I just felt way less stressed about replying to stuff at, at any given point I was like well at some point I'll reply and they know that I'm not in the UK so it doesn't really matter when and it was mm-hmm. like and, and then you realize it doesn't matter when anytime really like it's not like life or death like as long as you're going to do that like, realistically it was going to be done within like a day anyway yeah absolutely absolutely and then even like with work and stuff I thought okay well people that inquire on Wednesday they won't get replied till well they didn't get one till Tuesday because I I couldn't physically catch up with everything on Monday and then I was like okay well then then they've had to wait five days Mm. like it's not like it's not the end of the world I know that's a privileged position to 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 say that to some degree but it really is like it's not the end of the world and I think sometimes when you're so in it you start to over um, what's the word I'm looking for like not over egg but you put so much importance on, on absolutely everything that when you that's I think one of the reasons why we struggle to take a step back but then actually when you do take a step back and realize nothing that drastic happens I mean I'll lose followers like I always lose followers when you go on holiday and don't and post like life I thought, I thought you'd um gain followers because you're putting up bikini shots no my followers hate bikini shots I do not do bikini shots for validation they don't like it like my audience are not for life they're for content mm. Content. So I think it's partly because I think mine are a little bit because I yeah I think now doesn't do well when I put up stuff like that it's interesting because it can do well in terms of maybe likes or whatever but like I hide all that so I don't see that anymore but it definitely and and but it definitely doesn't work for like business stuff at all so it's like you just want to have to do it for like you as long as you're posting for yourself like it's fine right but you definitely it's not you have to just be okay with that if you want to post stuff like that oh I found a really cool stat in fact um one of the AFM girls Amy sent me it and it was showing that, you know how we always talk about like, do you know what? Sometimes a smaller following is better because you've got more engagement and having a large following. Like, it, to be honest, if I was looking for a coach and I was like, oh, they've got over 50,000 followers, I'd be like, I'm just going to be a number. I like, I would actively not want to work with that person. But this shows like the engagement percentage as your following goes up and it just goes down, like the percentage goes down and down and down. And I was like, wow, that's actual proof for the thing that I always say. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, it, it, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Something like, here it is. 
if you've got less than a thousand followers on Instagram, your engagement is about 7.5%. And then, oh, where are you? You've gone away. And then, oh my God, I've got a lot of tabs up. Oh, that's very shocking. Shocking. (laughs) Oh, I don't even want to show you this. Right. So, and then if you've got about 5,000, the engagement goes to 5%. Over 10,000, it's only 3%. Over 100,000, it's 2%. Jeez. 100,000 plus is like 1%. So you're like, oh, cool. Like, it's not actually that great. I mean, it's logical, right? Because you're at over 100,000. You're like, you're trying to get over 100,000 people to engage with one thing you've said or posted. Like, realistically. Yeah, I think what's doing... interesting is like, it's the percentage. Mm. You know, so it's not like, I'd get it that like obviously yeah you've got more followers I, I don't know I just thought that was kind of interesting yeah it is it is with on TikTok and Twitter although what's really weird about Twitter is like the engage the highest engagement rate is 1.4 percent and then it goes down to 0.3 percent when Jeez. you actually use Twitter it's not surprising because you get nothing I only do yeah. it I've noticed you do the same you just do it to screenshot it for us yeah <laughs> yeah not, not actually on it at all no um yeah or sometimes I do it just to test I'm like "Mm, is this a little bit like "Mm, should I say this is this an okay thing to say and then I'm like I wonder if I'll like if it'll do well on Twitter it's probably okay I mean that's quite a bad stat because normally um yeah Twitter's quite like extremist views isn't it Mm, it's a a completely different I think audience on Twitter it's very like yeah, that's not. I don't think it's my type of audience, but I think it's. I think it's a good resource for like learning certain things. But um, yeah, it's quite different. For yeah, sure. the other interesting stat that was from that is only eleven percent of TikTok users are over the age of thirty-five, which confirmed my bias of I can't be. And this is completely. I just cannot be fucked to do it. Yeah, that was like, oh, great, because most of my clients are menopausal women, so probably not that many of them are on there. Great, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Bab, Bab, I, I, yeah, I dipped in and then dipped out, and I thought it's not worth that. The potential here is not worth the output or the the lack of want and the effort that is required to to be on there. And it's also not worth the shift in my TikTok algorithm. I would love a social media platform that has nothing to do with fitness. And TikTok is that. It's just Taylor Swift and other stuff. And it's like, that's my safe space. It's not worth me disrupting that. Work-life balance and all that. I deleted mine. Mine was just lesbians. (laughs) But I deleted it. I was like, no, no. They're not for you, are they, lesbians? Oh, no, definitely not. Okay, let's get cracking. Sarah's question. Hi both. I have dug a bit deeper about my client who binges and she said that she undereats in front of people out of embarrassment and worried about what they think and believes that they are thinking, quote, quote, that is why she is so fat if she eats a lot of food in front of people. Then when she leaves, she has this desire to go to the shop and buy a lot of chocolate and eat high volume foods when no one is around so she is a self-confessed secret eater any suggestions on what I can recommend she does or help change her mindset thank you so much you know what's quite interesting about this is you get the exact opposite of this in fitness don't you like people who don't eat very much at all and then when they're around people 
they'll try and eat more to make up for it as if like you know anyone with obviously any understanding of energy balance knows that that very overweight person doesn't just eat salad all the time or that that very lean person doesn't always eat two burgers at dinner but you still there's still this like weird thing that yeah it's just interesting Mm. on both extremes yeah you're so right actually you're so right um I I mean I think it's a really tough one I think you kind of there's two things the 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 navigating of the perceived judgment of other people and then actually the coming back to your values and how is eating how is eating regularly and eating sufficiently aligned with your values and i.e. not overeating. So I would do this, I would do some values work with her if you haven't before and like ask her what like what's important to you and what are your values and what are your goals in line with your values and what are the habits then that align with those goals and habits, right? Because then each morning she can come back to, okay, well, my intention is to act in line with what's most important to me. And and if she struggles to do that, it's the reminder of like, well, why are why are your like why the percept why is the perception of others or from others more important than you doing what's most important to you and actually asking that question outright can be quite helpful because sometimes people don't think about it some people at times people don't acknowledge that what they're doing is like putting the perception I know it's perceived judgment right and it's the fear of being judged um but they don't recognize how much that's impacting like their own choices and supporting her and being like you you have a choice like you you always have a choice in this and right now you're choosing to like put your own needs on the back burner for this situation um and look how like what how does that result in like what you're feeling and what your actions are what would it look like if you tried it this other way and like actually maybe challenge her to do like okay well the next time you're in this situation for this one day only you're going to eat regularly you're going to eat a meal with everyone else um and you're going to see how that impacts your eating later on and giving her the evidence that when she does do that, she's far less likely to overeat later. Yeah, I think sometimes framing it as a test as well. So you're not saying you need to change your behaviours forever. You're just saying, try this once and see what happens. And hey, if it doesn't work, you can go back to your secret eating again. But just try this. Because what will happen is she'll feel satiated after and then she'll probably still have the urge to go to the shop and buy it. And then she'll just be like, oh, but I don't need to because I'm not leaving that dinner starving, hungry and can't wait to get home. Mm-hmm. And I would even maybe put a couple of things in place to be like, stay at dinner longer, eat something substantial and go for the drinks after instead of missing the drinks after and just going off to the shop to buy whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Then you've not really got a choice to do that either. Yeah, I agree. And then, what was I going to say? Oh my gosh, it's completely gone from my brain. I think, oh yeah, one thing I would not do, and I think it's sometimes quite common, is saying, like, oh, people don't care what you eat. People are not looking at what you're doing because it's really validating and people are sometimes. And it's like, you don't want to just kind of invalidate that, what feels very real for her, because then it's just going to make her be like, well, you don't understand because you don't understand because that does happen um so just be mindful of kind of invalidating that and to kind of put a positivity spin on it and actually focusing on like okay well what can we actually action here instead yep. okay Harpreet's question. Hi, ladies. I have a client who suffers from hemorrhoids. She has just started exercising, did squats and had a flare up the next day. I looked it up and good old Google says 
avoid squats, but I wanted to ask your opinion on how I can help by what should I encourage or avoid? I mean, if that is the only real thing you can do with like similar things to this and injuries, but like if it's causing a flare up, I would avoid it. But then I would also send it to a doctor to get treatment. It's going to be more Mm -hmm. managing that. And then your job is to encourage her to go to her doctor and then manage any side effects that she's having. Same with any condition, really. But if squats are are a no-go, then it's kind of trying to figure out why as well. Like, could she leg press or is that going to cause the same problem? Or could she do leg extensions or is that going to cause the same problem? Like, what's the mechanistic, like, reason behind that? Much like when someone's like, oh, I can't squat because of my knees. Okay, well, can you do the leg press because there's less stability needed or is it actually the bending of the knee in that motion in which case you can't replace a squat with leg press so I'd I'd get curious around that and just know that I would what I would communicate to her is go and speak to your doctor but then also my job as your coach is to always work around these things so it's certainly not like a catastrophe but we're going to find a way around it but I want to know the constraints first is this something Mm. we can avoid long term or can you have treatment that would allow you to do that I agree. The only only other thing I would add, and I come at this from like a hernia situation, and I did. Did you? I don't know if you ever did this at uni, like stuff on Valsalva maneuver. We had to do a full project on Valsalva, and like like the ECG and stuff. I meant to do that. No, we didn't do that. No. Oh, that was rubbish. However, um, Valsalva is like if you, if you like you hopefully will know from like your PT is like when you're not breathing properly and you get a big build up of blood pressure. Um, through holding your breath and that potentially potentially could be the reason why with squats especially she, if she's not breathing properly and not going through like diaphragmatic breathing and like focused on that then I think that would have an impact on hemorrhoids um so maybe going through like breathing technique with our again in a session like you could try lowering the weight and, and trying the breathing technique and then seeing like checking in and being like okay how did that feel the next day and notice the difference and like things like pelvic floor exercises kegels stuff like that um all of that type of work where you're focusing on contraction um could potentially be helpful so again if she's doing squats can you like maybe Shona's a good person to speak to in terms of pelvic floor and stuff about like what did how what coaching cues does she use for her clients when she's working on pelvic floor with squats and maybe you could implement some of those things and maybe that might work I'd say work I mean like support obviously you're not trying to heal anything and, and you probably have to start a bit lighter as well I mean don't know what you started on but especially if you're looking at embracing like holding your core and breathing in a slightly different way yeah that's going to be important because you're relearning mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. okay Joe's question hello ladies thoughts on how to approach clients who are disengaged not filling in check-ins, doing workouts, etc. This particular client has quite an all-or-nothing mentality and has stopped and started coaching quite a few times. Pep talk. It, it, this is quite hard because it depends on the client and the situation. And some of this is like, what's the right frame? Like your own ability to perceive what other people need. I mean, you can ask them as well. Like, do you think you need a bit of tough love here or do you think you need a bit more support like what what side of coaching do you want to come at in this situation it sounds like if this client has been with you a while and has come and gone and come and gone you'll probably know what they need 
but I, then I would give them that whether that's sitting down being a bit tough love and being like I'm not going to coach you anymore unless you can commit to doing these check-ins or or if they need a little bit more support and that like now pushing them is probably the worst thing you can possibly do and it's just going to make them shut down and they already feel like failure maybe you need to set some lower targets for them the other thing to do is just ask them what the barrier is to checking in because they might be like I hate written check-ins I just don't like writing or I find it really hard to do or it doesn't come up well on my phone or every time you send it it goes to junk like sometimes it's like stuff that's actually nothing to do with your coaching and something to do with the system problem so ask a couple of questions and get a bit of feedback as to why they're not checking in if it's as simple as that and they're a one-to-one client why don't you just whatsapp them the check-in form then they will remember to do the check-in like if it's something that can be a quick fix like that great if they need a bit more of a pep talk great but I would just delve a little deeper and don't be afraid to just ask them the question as opposed to guessing what they need like what would make it easier for you to do a check-in at this time or is is it that I send you a check-in on a Friday and that's your busiest day of the week and you just don't want to do it that day you never have time to do it okay cool let's move check-ins to Monday mm-hmm. totally agree and I also would add to that like ask them what you like ask them what do you need like what do you need from me in order for you to do your check-in weekly um and that will give you an indication of how you can support them or say like how can I support you better so that you feel like you can check in every week and then they might say oh well you could do x or y or they might say it's not that it's just that I actually feel like embarrassed when I've not stuck to things and and then you can have the talk around like actually the weeks that you struggle most that's actually when I'm like I'm much more helpful to you and having that conversation of like the weeks that are hardest are the weeks that are most important for you to check in and all I'm here to do is support you in reaching your goals I have no judgment over like what you're doing and actually what you'll probably find is that I think you've had a more positive week than you realize that you have um and so having that conversation as well um and then the, uh, the other thing is like you can't force someone to engage and like you could ask like you know you've come back three times now what's different like, what's different this time versus last time what do you think's changed what stopped you from doing it last time and what do you think's different about this time um just to get an idea of like why she feels like she hasn't been adherent in the first place or felt like she could stick to it in the first place um because ideally what you want is or obviously the next time that she leaves that she doesn't need to come back okay Sophie's question. Hello, I have a new fat loss client who's menopausal and has been yo-yo dieting for many years. She's come to me feeling very frustrated, saying that I'm her last resort. I'm unsure where to start with her. If someone has been yo-yo dieting for years, do they need to go through a period of not dieting and working on their relationship with food? Or should we just get straight into a fat loss phase? I'm never sure when it's appropriate to get a client to focus on their food relationship over and above fat loss. Great question. Mm. And again, like it is going to depend on the client because sometimes people have been yo-yo dieting for years, but they've been shit dieting for years and no one's ever been like, let's set you up with a moderate deficit and let's actually have you living your life and making a few compromises instead of making massive sacrifices while dieting and doing something that actually isn't you know, going to take over their lives like the way that any EIQ coach would coach someone. So I would delve into like whether they've had that experience before and they actually still need a bit of a break from dieting or whether they've just done really like restrictive diets in the past. And actually you could have them diet right now if they want to lose fat without like framing it so much as a diet, like 
this is just the way that you're going to live. This is the way that you're going to eat and your exercise and your activity levels, which will result in fat loss because you're going to be in a little bit of a deficit. Doesn't have to be a big thing. So I think it would depend mm. where that person is. Sometimes for sure, they might need a break from dieting for a while. Other times, not so much. And so much of it's to do with intent and how you frame it. Like if dieting is just expending a little more energy than you consume, they might not even, like you could set that up so they don't even really know that they're doing that. But instead of focusing on dieting, we're just going to focus on these behaviors, which you know will result in a bit of a deficit. So they're going to lose fat at the same time, but you're not framing it as this is a fat loss diet. Hmm. I think something that's come up for me with some people that I mentor who are kind of kind of do more quote unquote relationship with food stuff is the idea that it's like a dichotomy of like, do I need to do the relationship with food program or do I need to do the fat loss program? And they're not, it's a false dichotomy, right? They're they're not separate entities and you know, you support people's relationships with food in some of the same ways that I do and in some different ways that I do, right? It's but I don't have like this relationship with food program that I've developed and teach on EIQ and do with all of my clients with exactly the same thing and I don't say okay this client is is binge eating so they have to go through with the relationship with food program and then do the next thing so and I think that's where some people get into a little bit of a like a tiz about well what strategy should I use first um I know great word what strategy should I use first like should I do like you could because you can do things like some mindfulness work, some self-compassion work, um, so like food neutrality, all of that stuff, you can do that alongside a fat loss phase and, or eat, like even like an intentional diet or like unintentional fat loss, right? You can do all of that stuff alongside it. Realistically, it's more about, is this person, you know, chronically overeating? Does this person have a lot of food preoccupation, a lot of guilt and shame around these things? And when I say a lot, again, it's using your judgment of like, what is a lot? because someone might say yeah I'm chronically overeating but it's actually because you know I have like I overeat on weekends because I'm overly restrictive during the week and actually once you manage that it's fine um so again you have to like this is where experience comes in and, and building your experience and saying okay well this person is presenting like this we've had this conversation maybe I should do x y or z and I also think the other thing is to remember that nothing is permanent and since, I mean, some damage that you might, not you might do, but like people have done in the past, maybe it might be like, feel like it's like long-term, but realistically, if you, if someone comes to you and you're like, okay, well, like, like we're going to go into intentional diet phase and we'll do all this other stuff with relationship with food alongside that. And two weeks in, they're just overeating like every other day since you started, then you, you change it and you go, this is not the right thing to do. Nothing is forever. And, and having that conversation of like, this is where we're going to start. I've had a client like, maybe who will track for a week and then they don't have a track again because it wasn't the right thing to do. It's not that you've made a mistake, it's you're doing the best you can from the knowledge that you've got. And as you begin to get to know your client more, things might change a little bit and, and being open to saying, oh, that maybe wasn't the right, we just need to try that, that maybe wasn't the right strategy for you, let's try something else and, and being okay with that. But again, I think that comes with experience of like knowing that you're a good coach and being comfortable with being able to say that. Sometimes when you have that imposter feeling, you don't want to own up to being like, oh, maybe I didn't do the, it's not the right thing. You did the right thing at the time, but maybe I didn't do the best thing all the time. But again, it's doing the best you can with what you know. Yeah, you can't have the perfect program for someone before you start. 
like it's all organic you can have a bit of a blueprint but then you're going to adapt it to whatever happens what results you get how they respond to that that's always the way and I think newer coaches for sure think that they can come up with a perfect plan and I also think there's that perception from clients as well like and I'll hold my hand a lot of my clients especially on group coaching come a little bit underwhelmed with what they initially get because to be completely honest it's relatively generic right but the coaching is then in adapting that to them as they go but you can't really know what someone needs until they start implementing things like having a calorie target is a great example of this you don't know the exact calorie target that's the best for someone until you give them a ballpark figure that's pretty sensible and then they start living that and figuring out oh maybe it needs to be a little bit higher a little bit lower or maybe we could have it higher on the weekend but lower in the week or now you've changed jobs so your expenditure is higher so we need to increase your calories like it's all fluid it's all organic and it's all like learning and getting feedback and making it better so you can't go in with this like quote unquote perfect plan because there isn't one agreed Okay, Shona's question. Hello, I have a client who feels like she's been on a diet since she was a teenager. She's now 34 and wants to work on that. We were having a chat and she said she felt obliged to finish a whole protein bar because although she wasn't hungry, there wasn't any point in only having 10 grams of protein. As a task, I've asked her to write down all the quote unquote rules she has in her diet and we will unpack them. Is there any other things that you'd suggest we can work on? She's not weighing herself, but also feels like she needs something to keep her quote unquote under control, which we discussed is perhaps an issue in itself. Um, so I think... I think you've done a great thing in terms of figuring out her rules and then systematically challenging her to break those rules can be really, really helpful. So maybe her rule is, I'm going really generic, you're right, like she doesn't eat carbs after 6pm, right? Um, okay, so your your goal this week is to have a bowl of cereal at 8pm every night, um, as an example. Or like sometimes, like some of my clients, they come up with rules that they've had that they don't even realise and they'll be 18 months in and they're like, oh, I've just realised actually that I, I eat my food in this certain order or whatever it is, and I've never realised that before. So these rules will will crop up for ages and it's like, okay, so whenever you recognise a rule, you challenge that rule and you get into the habit of doing that. Um, I think the, uh, the control thing is obviously really quite common and the best thing you can do in this situation is transitioner and it sounds like you're probably doing this anyway but into a much more intuitive approach to food and the the way that you'll need to transition her through that is like by having goals and guidelines that she's ticking off for a while that gives her that sense of safety but then over time she can reduce those and her reduce her reliance on ticking those habits off every single day but at least initially it's that kind of safety blanket of okay well I'm still doing something to give me that sense of control the uncertainty thing there's a book called I just bought it I've not read it yet I don't know where it is it's called like embracing uncertainty or something um and I, I think that's important for people like that in terms of like why where the hell where is it it's not something oh, it's not what Seth Godin no I don't think so I think I know that yeah no it's I, a weird... I didn't think you'd read a Seth Godin book I don't I don't I, I'm, I'm partial to some of his stuff like podcasts after you mentioned him before but no it's a woman um so I think like the uncertainty thing is hard you can't teach that a book on uncertainty as well 
What as in sick oh, certainty? Yeah. yeah. I Have think you read it? I've skimmed some of it on Audible. I haven't like finished it yet. It is good. I don't think it it is less about like teaching someone it, but more about or what works for me anyway is like seeing the benefit in it and seeing that that's actually where life is and that nothing's set anyway so it's like you're trying to avoid something that you're sitting in anyway like I think you said this to me once about like not making a choice is making a choice it's those kind of realizations that you're like oh shit like I was doing this because I thought it gave me control or certainty but it doesn't anyway because things aren't certain anyway and that kind of reduces like when you talk to um clients about how calorie tracking isn't accurate and then they're like oh okay so I can stress a little bit less about the fact that this input on my fitness pal is 10 calories different than this one and which one is right and actually probably both of them are slightly wrong but it doesn't matter I think the realization of those things is quite useful um yeah and then what was the what what was the rest of the question again um is there anything else that I can work on? She's not weighing herself. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I was going to add is like, this is gold for content as well. Because if she comes and tells you every, I mean, one, it's going to be quite hard for her to write down off the top of her head. Like you said, there'll probably be a couple of months later and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that was a food rule that I had about myself. But actually I do never do that. Or like when I'm on a flight, I never eat. Or when I travel, I never eat. I didn't realize I was doing that that kind of stuff will probably pop up later on. But if you have a list of everything that she's been told, or, you know, like it's probably a really good podcast episode as well to unpack mm. all of it. Agree. These, these are the types of things that really do, like, just take time. And, and every week noticing the little things that come up, like maybe she's body checking a lot and that's her way of, she might body check a lot because it gives her a sense of control over her body. So then challenging the body checking side of things and. Um, like does she ever is she able to skip training days or like if she's ill or anything like that so these are the things that like obviously Shona you know this but just over time will show up and just being really patient in that on that sense and that oh, in that sense in that sense I'm really struggling with my words today like what, not coming in really oh it's a good point actually I'm, I'm luteal so that must be what it is must be what nothing, nothing to do with yeah. the antibiotics that just come off no definitely not definitely not that I'm reading a great book actually at the moment about and it's got a lot of the research around PMS and stuff and there's there really as much research even into PMS as you think like it's something like 10% of people who menstruate have said that they experience PMS or like when there was research done and they didn't tell them what they were researching and then they just got them to rate like PMS symptoms at certain times of the month and stuff like that without saying this is what we're looking at and it was something only like 10% of people experienced it and yet when you talk to people it's like no we've all got it and and then um, how that it's, it's interesting because it's like obviously our health uh, the, what we believe about our health outcomes obviously predicts often what our health outcomes are and the framing of and I did a post about this the other day because I was thinking about it and it was like people use this period power narrative as like an empowering thing like let's empower ourselves to tune into our bodies and all of this stuff but I very much believe like we should be listening to our bodies right and like obviously you know this right I talk about this all the time of like okay learning to trust your body and going with the seasons of your body and if you experience PMS all of these things like 
fully on board with this but I think the problem with these books and stuff is like you will be tired in like your luteal phase I'm going to empower you to do things that are more creative at this time and slow down and all these things and then in your follicular phase I'm going to empower you to use your brain more and be more assertive and aggressive because that's a good time to do it and it's like that's not an empowering thing when it's coming from an external guideline or an external rule or like what is empowering is saying like lean into your body notice what you feel with the different changes of your cycle and it might be the same every month it might not be and then empower yourself to act on that so if you're feeling really like um reclusive maybe you could do some creative stuff whenever that time of your cycle is and so the post I was saying was like actually all the stuff that we're hiding behind of being empowering is it actually just disempowering us completely because we're saying what we're ultimately saying is if a man says to us oh it's just your hormones when you're feeling emotional the week before your period we get pissed off but with us it's like well it's just my hormones but that's okay like why I think it's quite similar to like diagnosis with I mean ADHD is a great example of like if you see that as same with like your period when you figure when you learn about menstrual cycle like the point should be that I guess more more so that you're now understanding your body a little bit more and so you're like oh okay then maybe that is why I'm tired or maybe that is why I weigh a little bit more and that's actually quite empowering not to be self-fulfilling but just to be like okay given I feel like this it does make a little bit more sense and I'm going to beat myself up about it same with like being diagnosed with ADHD it's like okay so that's why I might find this certain thing harder not I'm sorry I can't do it I've got ADHD like it should be an empowering thing to understand yourself a little bit more as opposed to use it as like a limiting belief and I think the same thing is happening with menstrual cycle like oh sorry you couldn't possibly do that this is the phase of your you know, like, oh you're definitely going to be really weak in the gym or you're certainly going to feel like shit or you can only do creative stuff at this time and blah 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 like it's so ridiculous hmm. and can you imagine being like oh my god I've put level up and it's actually in my luteal phase like what sorry it wasn't the train strikes it's just that actually yeah Amelia's on a period like, oh my god wild isn't it yeah. um okay Amanda's question hi apart from the usual healthy eating guidance is there anything recommended for someone who's being given statins for high cholesterol thank you um so do you know what was quite interesting I mean I just googled this but apparently I didn't know there was such a strong uh, impact of grapefruit juice. Did you come on? It was like, don't, definitely don't do it. This was on the NHS website. It was like, very specifically, no grapefruit juice. No. Yeah. And then also like minimal alcohol. And then obviously like, if you're on statins, you probably do want to look at your diet and how much fat, well, especially saturated fat is in your diet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like nothing's going to touch the sides when you are taking statins. Like that's the most effective thing for sure. Um, and going back to lecture two, where I talk about this sort of stuff in lecture two, if you haven't watched it for a while, watch that. Um, focusing on again increasing polyunsaturated fats, reducing saturated fats, being mindful of dietary cholesterol, but obviously that has less of an impact when your saturate your polyunsaturated to saturated fat ratio is kind of optimal or higher um but still be mindful of that exercise is obviously crucial what i think is really interesting is there's some research i don't know if you're if you've seen this around like quote-unquote functional foods and reducing like um 
LDL in terms of the research is around like non people that don't take statins but there's certain foods so I wrote them down because I'd never heard of them before before like I'd I'd heard of them when I found out this research, but I couldn't remember the names of them. Um, phytosterols, phytosterols, which are like cholesterol-like molecules, and they're in things like um, polyunsaturated fat spread, so like flora and stuff like that. And then the other one is monocolins, monoclins, I think it's monocolins, and they're like statin-like compounds. They're harder to get in foods that you specifically get it in like this food called registrice, which is hard to get. But I'm not saying like recommend to take these, but what's it's just interesting the research behind these in terms of um lowering LDL in like people who have potentially raised LDL but are not reaching the level of statins yet. Um and I'd heard about them and then when I saw this question, I was like, I went back to look at what I'd written because. Like, I think we have, like, my mum, I think, has potentially familial hypercholesterolemia. And um, she eats incredibly well, exercise and all these things. And I was like, oh, I don't really know what else to do. And I was like, oh, I had to take a note of these because I thought, hmm, maybe there's something in these. So I'm not saying recommend these, but I think things like, are they using butter? Can you replace that with, like, a spread that's got, like, these phytosterols in them? Um, but realistically, I think the, the impact of these things is low compared to statins also fiber is really important um really important so making sure that they're getting sufficient fiber more than just like a couple of pieces of fruit and vegetables a day and like different types of fiber like and resistant starch and things like that so it's not just fruits and vegetables but it's also whole grains um pulses etc okay Oh, I didn't see these Sasha's questions. You've got them in the um, nickel Did you know that, okay. Sa that uh, Sasha is 21? Um, I didn't know specifically, but that doesn't surprise me. 21 today. Today? Yeah, or I saw a post today about it. Oh, well, if it's your birthday today or nearby, Sasha, happy birthday. I just can't... Um, when I was 21, I didn't know half the shit she knows. Oh, yeah. Ridiculous. I, I think so I'm impressive that you've been to, like, this many, like, events, that you come to all the, like, that you come to every level up, that you invest so much in your education, that you're, like, so far ahead of everyone. Like, can you imagine where she'll be in five years? I know. I had this conversation with her, I think, at level up, because I was like, you, like, and without knowing that she was 21, I've just been like, you're so far ahead of where you think that you are. 20 yeah. years old. I was like, what the hell? What, at 20 years old? I mean, I can't, I can't remember what I was doing, but nobody can do that. You go out your way, like a lot of people at that age as well are a little bit like shy, won't ask questions. Whereas you're like, no, I'm here. I'm going to make most of it. I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to mm. put my hand up. I'm going to ask it again if I didn't understand it the first time. Like, I just think it's so impressive. So do I. Totally agree. And on that, though, let's do our questions. A client who I briefly discussed a few li lives back, well, a few lives back, like when you were a cat, she's working on a relationship with food in her body, but she really is desperate to get back into fat loss now. She no longer binges, but now overeats. And I'm a bit sceptical if we do go back into dieting again, her binging will occur, especially as she has PCOS. How I see it, she's in no routine, now due to a lot of stress in her life and she hasn't been exercising very much and not planning meals so I believe it's more about the lifestyle she's got than her body now if someone is super desperate to lose body fat how would you go about it journaling is being done but there's still a lot of hatred towards her body 
I would say it sounds like she's like there's nothing wrong with obviously fat loss but it sounds to me like if she's got this chaotic life right now she's desperate to get back some structure into her food and exercise because it's going to make her feel like she's got some sort of control over those things when her life feels very chaotic um sometimes I think it can be helpful to kind of ask questions around that not saying that's what she's doing but like kind of having open questions about it um and maybe set a bit of a timeline of like okay well when maybe once things feel more consistent for you you're exercising regularly you're doing all the basic stuff we can revisit this but there's no point in going into a diet um when these things are not consistent as it is um because it's just going to add stress and it's going to like you're going to get frustrated and what I don't want you to do is to start overeating um and feel like you're moving backwards in this like when you've done so much work um you could push her with some more structure around things at the moment to get, help her to feel like she still have some structure around it so like why is she not exercising regularly how can you support her to be exercising more regularly again same with nutrition like do you have guidelines in place that she's eating regularly that she's eating enough fruit and veg fiber protein all of these things like can you support her with being more regular and routine with those types of things like healthful habits that just give her that sense of things and then like with her body image her body image will be suffering probably because again because of her lifestyle at the moment um but working on that like the hatred towards her body of like ask her why she thinks that's beneficial to to be so horrible to her body like a lot of the time we are horrible to our body because we think it's going to help us change and actually it's the opposite right so somehow introducing that conversation in the sense of like what benefit do you think it is having to you to to have this hatred towards your body because it is a choice um a hard one to make and it does require effort to move through that but you can move through that if you like if you want to do that and, and support her with that with all the body image tools that like i know that you've got and like that are in eiq yeah nothing to add Okay, another client of mine doesn't necessarily think much about his body anymore because he's mentioned, quote unquote, he's waiting for the perfect time to feel good. He believes that a day will come when he will be at his happiest when his stomach fat is completely gone. He's got a holiday coming up and he does want to take off his top by that time. So he's essentially waiting and only ever, only forever wearing jumpers right now. I have mentioned there will be that perfect time. He's genuinely a very happy and positive person, but I believe it's his past that has made him feel this way about his body. I know I can only do so much as a coach, but is there anything you would say that's different to what I have done? I genuinely don't want him to constantly think there's going to be a perfect time. I think this is probably the norm for most people that whether you realise it or not, you always think you will be happy when you finish uni, you have that job, you get married, you have a, you know, like, you always think oh the next thing that's what will make me happy or in 10 years or whatever like and then you you don't see that actually happiness is here like you just have to choose it and it has really very little to do with your external circumstances just hearing someone say that like if you say that Sasha you know hearing that a thousand times might work in slightly different ways but it's probably not enough just to say that like within a gym session or a check-in but maybe reading certain books, so like The Happiness Advantage is excellent. The Happiness Trap is excellent. Um, just reading around like the hedonic treadmill and how we're always looking for more and that actually most of what you want is right here already. You just need to open your eyes and actually see it and be present to it and not always look for what the next thing is. 
that kind of stuff and that mindset work takes time like it's never going to happen immediately but even there's just really cool research around happiness looking up like baseline happiness hypothesis all that kind of stuff like it will blow your mind and it will help you yourself as well but I think over the last couple of years like that's something I've definitely become more aware of and it certainly wasn't just like I read this one thing and now I'm suddenly happy all the time but after reading it in loads of different ways from loads of different people and looking at different parts of research and then like doing my own self-work I'm like okay actually I do realize that like I do fully believe that it's not I'm happy when it's like you can choose to be happy and then you look at like some of the happiest people like most people in our western society like I'll be happy when I have xyz material things but then you look at like the happiest people in the world and then usually not the people with the most things right they're actually in fact there's almost like an inverse relationship it's often people who don't have on the surface very much that are so happy with what they have or their lives and it's the people that look like they've got everything that aren't particularly happy and that realization as well of like when you put that in front of people like do you think that person living in Dubai with the fancy car and the Rolex and all the money in the world like is more happy than this person sat on a beach here who you know only has enough money to live for the next week but like just kind of takes it day by day and is enjoying themselves and living the life that they want like who do you actually think is more happy and most people will realize oh shit it's the person with like technically like less but actually is doing what they love agree and I have nothing to add okay fabulous great questions everyone thank you so much Okay, love you all. Bye.